and welcome to Fintech Insider Insights. I'm Simon Taylor and in today's episode, we're looking at partnerships. Partnerships between fintech, service providers, banks, non-banks, call your head of partnerships, call your partner manager. This is the show for you guys. Let's have some fun. Um, there has been a bit of a shifting dynamic when it comes to relationships between incumbents and financial service providers and, and everybody in between. What was once a rivalry between the old guard and the new schools, now it's just an opportunity. Whether it's in M&A, pure partnerships, everything in between, the market is really changing shape. And today we're going to talk about what do partnerships look like in 2022? What challenges are there still to overcome and what should it look like in the future? Uh, and as always, I am not alone. I'm joined by just an incredible panel today uh, who can shed some light on all things partnership. First off, making a debut appearance, joined by an 11FS colleague, Nicole Perry, who's Strategy Director of Business Design here at 11FS. Nicole, at last we get you on the show. How are you doing? Hi, Simon. Great to be on here and uh, thank you Uh Really looking forward to my debut on Fintech Insider Insights and hopefully it's not my last. Um, so yeah, my name is Nicole Perry and I'm a strategy director at 11FS specialising in digital business design and situated in our global advisory team. And what that really means is I help, help clients think about all of the different components that have to be present in their business to take advantage of new and emerging digital revenue streams and alternative business models. And we help clients to, to craft those strategies to pursue them uh, and create value from them. I think people forget that we sell services and we've got some great humans. Like all of the smart stuff you hear on the podcast is people like Nicole behind the scenes that help us really go execute on that. So uh, check it out, people. Uh, making a welcome return to Fintech Insider is Martin Herring, CMO over at Temenos. Our audience are likely familiar with Temenos, but give everybody a reminder of what you do there. First of all, thanks, Simon, for being on the show. It's always great to be with you. Uh, so I'm in charge of marketing and the partner ecosystem at Temenos. I joined Temenos eight months ago and I'm a part of the executive committee. I guess for sure a lot of people know Temenos, but we have changed our strategy really uh, in a big way towards a more SaaS model uh, and being really an open platform provider for banking services. And in case you don't know, today we are serving 1.2 billion bank accounts worldwide in 150 countries and we have 3,000 customers all over. Thank you, Martin. And also making a Fintech Insider debut, we have uh, Mary Abiswana, who is Fintech Growth Lead at Seckle. Thanks for joining us, Mary. Uh, remind everybody who you are and what Seckle does. Yeah, sure thing. Um, hi, everyone. Super excited to be on the podcast as an avid listener. Um, I'm super passionate about fintech and how tech is being used to help people improve their financial habits and reach their financial goals. And luckily, Seco does exactly that. So Seco are part of Octopus Group. We see ourselves as Stripe for investment, so the technology provider and custodian behind leading fintechs that want to launch investment propositions to their customers. Um, and we're just aware of the fact that there's over £800 billion yet to be unlocked in retail wealth management. So we're helping to drive that. Um, and my role is fintech growth lead. So spend all day, every day, speaking to new fintech founders looking to launch investments. That infrastructure place in crypto is so, so crucial, isn't it? Uh, thank you so much. And last but not least, it's another FinTech Insider debut for Josh Williams, who's Chief Banking Officer at Seattle Bank. Welcome, Josh. Uh, can you give us the lowdown on Seattle Bank and how partnership fits into your brief? Yeah, thanks, Simon. Great to be here. Yeah, Josh Williams, uh, Chief Banking Officer and Head of Partnerships at Seattle Bank. So uh, appropriate for the topic today. 
in my role for starters, um, you know, I focus much of my time uh, really outwardly on how we can partner with fintechs, marketplaces, and brands that want to offer financial services to their clients. But in doing that, uh, also then work upstream with the many partners that we rely on and look to um, support our business and our clients and our processes. So this is a highly relevant topic for, for me. Uh, in terms of the bank, Seattle Bank is a boutique bank based in, uh, in the Northwest. Uh, it actually has retail roots, um, but we essentially came together as a management team in 2014 and really with the goal of repurposing a traditional community bank uh, into a bank that took a much more boutique focused approach to providing differentiated experiences. And we did that by being highly uh, focused on private and commercial banking markets and quickly realized in order to realize sort of the the, fulfill, the, the goals that we were setting for our clients, uh, we needed to have just different technology. And that led us to a technology strategy um, that has positioned us to now be uh, working in a much uh, stronger and more sort of outward leaning uh, partnership role today. It's so interesting as you look at the U.S. market, how many regionals did um, sort of realize in the mid-2010s that this strategy pivot was available, and now the whole partner bank ecosystem comes out of the back of it, the bank of niche, and and people really using their charters in in a completely different way. And I think that kind of leads me, Josh, I might might follow you with that. You, You did it, you had a really nice framework of like upstream and downstream partnerships. You know, starting at the bank in the middle, how do you define what's upstream and what's downstream? stream from from your perspective yeah, I think uh, if, if we're thinking downstream, it's really looking and saying, hey, there are pl- players on the outside, again, whether that's a, a fintech that's a, a financial brand that has its own customer relationships, it wants to be in the market, owning the relationship, owning the experience, but they still need connectivity on the back end for a capital, liquidity, charter, et cetera. Uh, so it could be a fintech or it could be a non-financial company, such as a marketplace or brand that wants to embed more of a financial experience into that customer experience to drive more value. So we think of that as somewhat more downstream in the sense that um, you know, that's us essentially pushing out our unique capabilities set to those businesses for them to go achieve their strategic goals versus upstream being where are we looking to partner with either solution providers or really key collaborators to support the ecosystem of things that we need on, uh, on our back end. Yeah, the the ecosystem of providers has really evolved in the last five years. And I think, uh, Martin, you know, you think about that ecosystem word, I know a lot at at Terminos. How do you define an ecosystem? And because given what Terminos does, I mean, 1.2 billion bank accounts, there's some software there that's that's kind of core to a lot of organizations. But what's the ecosystem around that look like? So when, when we look at ecosystem, we look at two different things. When you are a platform provider, you need a vibrant developer ecosystem. So we are doing a lot to nurture that ecosystem, running developer conferences, uh, getting developers on the platform, let them play around with, with our open APIs and, and the banking services. That is one side. And the, the second one is more the commercial side of the business, where we, we ramped up a program which is called Impact that is categorized in four different categories of partners, sales partner, delivery partner, solution provider, strategic advisors. Um, uh, all these partners are important for us to deliver either our solutions with the clients or building on top of the platform new solutions like just just, just mentioned. Um, and just with this partner ecosystem, more or less you scale, either as a bank or as a software provider like we are. Um, a wonderful example is uh, we, we implemented a, a service that is called Buy Now, Pay Later, 
with, with PayPal. And in the first 12 months of that partnership, we have created 20 million loan applications. This is when a platform starts to scale and an ecosystem really drives incremental uh, top-line revenue. That's uh, that's a little bit a little bit of revenue, a little bit of little bit of partnership there. Um, Mary, uh, do you how do you reflect on everything we've heard so far, and and what does partnership mean to you at Circle? Yeah, I think from a Circle perspective, we're uniquely in the B two B space, so working with both traditional wealth management firms and fintechs, um, and particularly on the fintech side, we're aiming to be that go to team for founders looking to easily launched scalable UK wealth propositions. So we've partnered with the likes of Chip, the savings app, Penfold, um, which has pensions for the self-employed and Crowdcube on their IPO products as well. And definitely we've seen that partnership is around being aligned with values, aligned with ambitions, being honest and um, transparent about what the vision might look like, but definitely can um, have some seething issues along the process, especially um, in investments where the potential for revenue as a new revenue stream for some companies is large, but also um, it might be a new space for them to navigate as well. Yeah, that's such an interesting point. I mean, you know, Martin talked about buy now, pay later. You mentioned investments. There's a lot of fintech companies, non-bank uh, brands that are looking to find those new revenue streams, but this is a new market to them. And if you have a great developer-focused API, if you're doing a lot of the lifting around compliance, then somebody's buying something, but they might not always know what they're buying and 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 how to buy it and, and, and all of that sort of stuff. So I think we'll come back to that because there's some really interesting threads to, to pull on there. Um, but Nicole, I want to talk to you about like the appetite for partnerships. It just feels a little bit like, uh, you know, you and I are veterans of bank strategy. The the partnerships conversations five, 10 years ago were, were quite different to to where they are now. Do you think that the, the appetite is changing, increasing? Yeah, absolutely. And I've seen, you know, I've seen that appetite in-house and, and banks and you know a recent report from Cornerstone Advisors found that nearly nine in ten financial institutions consider fintech partnerships to be important to their business and and that's up from 49% in 2019 and personally I think the tide has really turned from, from banks seeing fintechs as competitors um, and kind of admitting and being honest about the fact that they fundamentally cannot compete in some aspects of fintech and actually partnership is the only way to keep up with the crowd, keep up with the market and continue to offer customers, um, you know, with the expectations that they have um, and that partnership is the way to do that and the way to leverage and build on each other's existing competitive advantages and capabilities. I think that's kind of related to uh, to the point Josh made earlier on. And Josh, I want to go back to 2014 and and sort of that insight, that moment, because it feels like a lot of banks been through that from 2019. That oh wait, hang on, this supplier ecosystem can help me. Maybe I've got to do my SBA lending, and there's a partner that can get this done a lot faster than I can. You know, the pandemic seems to have been a shifting point on on partnerships for a lot of folks. Going oh wait, fintechs aren't just things that compete with me. There's a whole new provider ecosystem. But what was it in 2014? that sort of shifted your approach um, and, the, and the Seattle Bank's approach? 
Yeah, I think the primary recognition was looking at the fact that legacy uh, bank technology then and, and unfortunately now is essentially just fundamentally not open or scalable. And so um, we recognize that was always going to be a problem in terms of our ability to control or tailor our customer experience. And so we started the process initially of thinking, hey, are there ways to essentially work with different vendors, maybe is how we thought about it, and then very quickly recognize this is a much more of a holistic architectural challenge that we really need to be on different technology and then really started to um, approach the various parties in a different way. And so, you know, we think of, uh, in, in this case, we made a conversion to Finastra, uh, Martin's alma mater. And um, because it was uh, cloud-based open core technology, they were embracing that both, um, uh, they were embracing that on the, on the highest level and that just created alignment with our business and so I think in that sense, and I know in many of those conversations, we said, hey, we are looking for a collaborator for a partner, not just a vendor on these things that are mission critical for the bank. And so I don't think that does, I mean, cer certainly some things can still be vendors, you know, where you get your bottled water or whatever maybe isn't strategic, but some things really matter. And I think on those, we really take a very heightened approach to how we evaluate those, what we look for in those types of um, relationships and ultimately how that ultimately has a, str a strategic alignment for our business. No, I think that kind of like getting more out of what used to be a long-term vendor relationship and turning that into a true partnership, like that takes work on both sides. Like you can't just expect it to be great service one way and you're just going to go about your business. Like you got to put the effort in on, on both sides with, without question. Um, Martin, like what does that look like from the other side? What does that look like when you're We've got banks that are partners, fintech companies that are partners. You're trying to bring smaller providers to them. Like, what what does a typical partnership look like, and what are the things that lead to success? Well, I always think of this wonderful uh, African proverb: "If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to far, go far, go together." Uh, that is a fundamental belief, also at Temenos. Uh, this is why we are now driving really what we call a partner-first approach. And what this means is that that you just think. How can you co-ideate faster? How can you co-develop faster? How can you co-market faster together? How can you co-sell together or co-deliver together? Uh, all of these wonderful co-words have one thing in common. I, I think where you want to drive uh, new business opportunities that you can't drive if you go alone, uh, that you in a certain way also optimize your cost base, right? Because there are so many smart brains out there that are together much smarter than any company or any bank in itself. And you need to leverage that, that know-how, that, that innovative thinking. And, and finally, all this together is delivering finally the ultimate customer experience. Uh, I, I think this is also what has changed and was created by the big unbundling in banks. Uh, we heard about this a lot in the last four or five years. But that unbundling means that uh, banks attach so many new players under the umbrella of delivering the ultimate customer experience. And, and Temenos is not different uh, to, to that thinking. So we are working now with the big hyperscalers to really be cloud agnostic. So Temenos can be run on whatever stack, Microsoft or Google or uh, AWS. We are working with all the fintechs that bring us new solutions that gives more value proposition to our clients and, and the banks. We are working with technology providers like a, like a Red Hat or an IBM or an Oracle. 
Um, and of course, we are working with the large system integrators. I think that sort of uh, different perspective on upstream, downstream is kind of interesting. You've got to look in every direction, almost 360 around your business, your entire supply chain in both directions and kind of understand uh, where the opportunities are. I want to come back to opportunities and challenges a little bit. Mary, you, you sort of laid out an interesting thread about business model. I wonder if we could come back to that a little bit when you talk to uh, organizations that don't understand this business model. How do they start to understand the business model? How can they get better educated? What are the things that you find yourself saying in those partnership discussions uh, a lot? And what are the, just the good things to know, like, for example, in investments that might not have been obvious historically when, when just trying to add more revenue? I'm assuming it's not just click here to get more revenue. Um, I wish it was that easy. Um, But definitely, I think what is interesting about being in my role in fintech sales and growth and speaking to these founders on a daily basis is that um, the conversations can go multiple ways. It could be providing them sandbox access to our environment. Um, It could be providing them with our API docs. They can have a look at our API it could be just explaining circle and what we do and giving them kind of comfort given that we're um, owned by Oxpress and that we're going to be around for a while, um, which helps given that we're in the wealth management space. But I think that the conversations can go in a wide variety of directions. I think it's all about um, taking the time to really understand uh, your clients' needs, exploring um, honest and vulnerable conversations from both sides as well. That again, that communication thing really seems to to come up quite often, that sort of frank conversation, that that honesty about where you're going, what your real objectives are, what your real goals are. But Nicole, speaking of objectives, like how successful are we really here? How how successful are these some of the partnerships, especially where banks have been involved? Because it feels like um the the stats you were giving earlier, people have got the joke, but are they succeeding? Yeah. I think to an extent, but where we're still falling down with bank and fintech partnerships, or we we have done today, is that banks have largely seen partnerships as a bolt-on to existing services. So, for example, adding accountancy software into an SME banking proposition, it feels like one bank makes a move with, with that style of partnership or with it was energy switching at one point and then each bank rushes to add that onto their proposition too and it's very much a reactive to the market thing rather than actually thinking properly about the customer and the objectives and outcomes that the customer are trying to achieve in their life and then holistically building your partnership strategy around that. It's very, very reactive and and, and very much a rush to kind of match everyone else and match what the market's doing. And I think that by actually taking the time to do that, you would result in a much more unique uh, offering and a much more well-blended, you know, collaboration of partners together to create the right outcomes for your customer. And then secondly, I think banks um, and decision makers and banks are only really just, to Josh's point, waking up to the fact that partnerships can be enablers as well for things to, to move quicker, to cost less, to be much more effective. And actually the sophistication and understanding around that and kind of the epitome of the analogy of the the whale vendor and moving to the school of fish is finally start, people are finally starting to wake up to the benefits of that. That's such a good point. I think the people start to fall in love with their distribution 
mechanism and think that my distribution needs to be amended or evolved. And Josh, what you guys did is go, actually, do we need to just change our distribution? What we manufacture is still a balance sheet and savings and lending, but our distribution could be fundamentally different. Yeah, that's correct. I mean, to be clear, we're still distributing direct, right? But through technology, we've now opened up a new channel and essentially can leverage those partners. So that's been uh, huge for us. But I think to both a point Marion and Nicole said, that, that importance of that communication and clarity around objectives, I think, is really can't be emphasized enough from the standpoint that, um, you know, too often I don't think there's a, a really strong uh, understanding of the factors coming in. So, you know, what we generally think of is you have to effectively balance both the business the tech and the regulatory factors on any partnership. And if you if you don't solve for all of them by design up front, you, you're not going to get a viable long-term uh, solution there. And I think so often where they start to break down, there really wasn't enough appreciation up front for one of those factors. And um, so, so back to that point, oftentimes there does need to be a hard conversation up front of, hey, what, what does success look like for you? What are you going to need to get out of this? Because here's what we're going to need to get out of it. I do think a natural advantage for banks in this space is, certainly those of us have a lending background, we've you know, met with thousands of companies and said no thousands of times to good people with great businesses, but we could not make the math work. And having the ability to have very clear decision criteria or investment criteria, however you want to structure that in your organization, um, to be able to communicate that up front, uh, I think is necessary for those partnerships to be successful. And so I think that's where um, as we're evolving, I think the successes are going to be those. Are going to be those that were supported by that type of, of communication. I think that know what you're looking for thing is so crucial, isn't it? In the and, and know what success looks like when you get there. Otherwise, you can just end up talking to everybody, have a lot of really nice conversations, and not actually get that outcome that you were looking for at the end of it. And, and maybe maybe that's part of learning. But does that work for the other folks who who are there to do business and? Maybe it doesn't. Um, you mentioned, you know, compliance and regulatory. Um, Mary, I, I, how much is is that something that you bump into onto a day to day basis? Because I guess does everybody understand that? Like, you never really get away from compliance fully, do you? The people <laughs> that can help you ease it, but it's always there in the background. There's always a regulatory piece that somebody's responsible for. Yeah, I would definitely say that's the case. I think um, especially now as SECL grows, we're increasingly working with larger financial services firms, with firms in highly regulated spaces like banks, um, thinking about embedded investments, thinking about launching investment propositions. Um, and yeah, when navigating the permissions they need can be tough, um, whether they're varying their permissions or applying to be directly authorised, it can take a lot of time. So what we found to work really well is just creating guides that kind of act as a checklist for our clients and partners to think about um, key considerations they're probably thinking about on their side. Um and also creating um, a bank of ecosystem partners, so principal firms, compliance consultants on hand for our clients um, to answer any questions. And we found that to be really useful, especially because um, in this space, it can be quite a long time of conversations before anything happens. So um, trying to make sure that you have a bit more clarity whilst um, internal conversations are happening as well is really helpful. I think that's such an interesting investment, and and I've seen a lot of partner banks in the U.S. invest in a partnerships team. That big part of their remit is to help potential clients understand that 
like there's a, there's this thing called regulation and you're on the hook for a good chunk of it right like we we will take ultimate responsibility with the regulator or more responsibility with the regulator but you got to do all of these things in order for us to get comfortable with you in the first place so like that upfront investment i think is is super interesting to to see kind of evolve um martin i want to come back to you on this though like when it comes to this matchmaking piece i guess you kind of sit in an interesting spot uh how how much do you think people struggle to find the right partner? Because there's, there's so many things out there at the moment. FinTech's really, really hot. So do, do people struggle? And then how do they actually start to find somebody that's good? I think I want to piggyback on what Nicola just, just said. I think we are not investing a lot of time in the proper due diligence. And it starts from defining what the bank or we as a software vendor really want to, to push as a business model. Uh, because partnering, and, and I'm now in, in the partner space for the last 30 years, what I always see is that we're not taking enough time. Time for investing in the people, in the programs, in the enablement of partners, um, in relationship building, in the governance structure, and, and also in, in not looking at the, if it's a cultural match. Uh, so many things can, can go wrong. But overall, partnering, I call it a marathon. It's never a sprint. And a lot of times it's uh, partners are made because of tactical things, moves to support one deal here or one uh, customer here. But you have to think in the long term. One of the things we, we do quite often is really to look in the top 50 fintech list of every country, because that list really outlines the maybe the next unicorns, uh, fintechs that have already good customers under their belt. They are already in a C funding or, or even higher. Um, and try to look what is their business model? What markets are they going in? Do they are touching segments or areas that we are not touching or that we don't want to touch going forward? And build then a, a strategy on, on the base of that. So when we filter partners, what we first do is we, we look what does the partner bring something to the table that we don't have? Second, has the partner access to a market or a segment that we don't want to serve? Has the partner special skills that we don't have? Is the partner financially solid? Will they survive the next big crisis? And, and last but not least, but it's so crucial, has that partner the similar culture and cultural values than, than we have? Otherwise, even if the first four things would work, if the last one, the culture doesn't work, you will fail. And so much of it depends on humans. It's crazy. There, there are, there's great technology, there's great APIs, but there's a human at the other side of it. Talk to me more about that culture part, uh, Nicole. Do you think that um, those barriers have been overcome or is there still a bit of a clash there, especially if you're dealing with like procurement teams and long sales cycles into banks in particular? Yeah, I think that actually on both sides of the fintech and banking parties, we actually don't have enough empathy for one another. So fintechs want to work with organizations that look feel think and act like themselves but actually in order to get the scale and volume that they want banks are an attractive proposition to partner with but fintechs can't really rock up and expect banks to be exactly like them they are on a transitional journey and fintechs need to respect and acknowledge and appreciate that. And then likewise, banks need to be aware that digital transformation is not just in the front end of their customers or in the back end servicing. It's about how they open the doors to opportunities like partnerships. So 
how 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 much are they working on the development of the APIs? How are they considering how they work with fintech partners? Who are they recruiting to be head of partnerships teams? And actually, there's no again, it comes back to thoughts and being deliberate in the beginning of your partnership strategy is to think through all of these items and you know initiatives that that may experience clashes. So I think, again, being much more deliberate on, on either side and respecting each other, respecting each other as on a different side of the maturity fintech skill is, is really important. Mm, I love that point. Uh, when you mentioned APIs, I immediately thought about uh, in the early days of open banking, how many initial portals looked like a copy paste of Stripe's API portal. And when in actuality, the question is different. Um, the question is, what are my strengths? What do developers want from me? Not what does somebody else do and how do I copy them? And I think that that sort of like anchoring point is is always a, always a good one. Um, all right, we are just going to take a quick pause here whilst we hear from our sponsors and we'll jump back in shortly. So have fun with the sponsors, you guys. What role will blockchain play in the future of financial services? How are innovative fintechs expanding access to online banking in Africa? And would more bankers in orange jumpsuits change the way money laundering is perceived? These are just some of the big questions you'll explore on Uncover, the Comply Advantage podcast. Subscribe today and join them for conversations featuring the latest, fast-growing fintechs, product innovations, and financial crime challenges. Just search Uncover Comply Advantage wherever you get your podcasts. Decoding is back. Our hit video series returns, and this time we're getting under the skin of banks. Over the course of 11 episodes, we're joined by key industry experts to ask, what are the challenges facing traditional banks in 2022? From payment rails to lending, we lay out the landscape before looking at the problems banks are facing today and what they can do about them. Watch now on the 11FS YouTube channel or at 11FS.com forward slash decoding. All right, thank you so much to our sponsors. Uh, let's move from where we are to where we need to get to. Because, Nicole, we were talking a little bit just before the break about APIs and product solutions and all of that kind of stuff. Are we still going to need partnerships? And, and how do we get to better partnerships? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, 110, 120%, 100 million percent, we still, we still need partnerships. And actually... Someone asked me, do you think partnerships will become obsolete in the future? Um, actually, I think that banks that don't have partnerships will become obsolete in themselves. Um, where we're seeing the biggest successes in digital businesses that are scaling and having exponential growth and actually disintermediating some areas of banking are those that are partnering vertically and horizontally across the ecosystem. And what I mean when I say that is that vertically they are stacking different levels of partnerships from you know, transactional rails to capabilities and products. And in turn, this is allowing them to develop intelligent services and embedded journeys. But they don't stop there. They then partner horizontally across different customer contexts and look for different adjacencies to the core problem that they're trying to solve. So the kind of um, most obvious advantage uh, example is um, building a home buying journey and experience, not just offering a mortgage product. And that vertical partnering of tech and capability and that horizontal breadth across the ecosystem uh, is what's really delivering excellent and differentiated customer services. So, yeah, to answer your question, will banks need partnerships? Absolutely. If they don't, I don't think they'll be here. 
Yeah, the, the, sort of so much of trying to change where you live is dealing with lawyers and solicitors and project managing your own home move and all of that kind of stuff and uh, brokers and oh my goodness, it's just a, a whole mess and people are trying to go deeper into that on the horizontal side and in reorienting themselves around the customer and sometimes the people that build that journey are the bank and the, the charter holder, sometimes it's not. But where do you play in that ecosystem is the right question. And that ecosystem word is one that comes up quite a bit. Um, you know, like I think there was a really good survey by The Economist that said 45% of um, banking executives they spoke to are set on becoming a digital business ecosystem, probably because they read it in a report somewhere from, from a strat house. But Martin, you guys are an active use case for building an ecosystem strategy. You have lots of partners already. Is that something that's realistic for uh, for a financial institution to start to move towards? Can they become more of an ecosystem player or do they have to always own the distribution as well? Uh, I think they, they, they need to be also become a platform provider. I, I just compare this in the, in the software world. Every successful software company in the last 10 years moved from a product company to a solution company, finally to a platform player. Because with opening your tech stack to the outside world, you create new business streams, you create better customer experiences, you just benefit from a different cost structure. And everything that normally is originated from the B2C world then grows into B2B and finally the banks are not, not different. They have exactly the same uh, challenges, right? How do I uh, grow faster? How do I optimize my cost base? And how do I create the ultimate customer experience? So that, that mega trend that I see today is really moving towards banking as a service, banking as a platform. That is the way forward. I would predict in, in, in this decade, that would be the biggest trend and a lot of banks are becoming platform providers now. And now the big question is, do you want to do this on your own or do you want to walk the way with, with partners, with specialized BAS providers, with software companies like, like Etemenos? I think that that is the, the big question. But for me, BAS is the mega trend for the next five years to come. Well, and as a service generally, um, just uh, it's not just banking, I guess it's investing, Mary, and, and, and everything that, that kind of comes around that. Do you think that you know incumbents could be looking at how they can uh, do things that they're not doing? I, I look at somebody like a, a Revolut and sort of say their, their business model, their revenue lines looks quite different to a traditional sort of retail bank. Yeah, I would definitely say that. I think that um, now, similar to what Martin is saying, is the time to look at everything you're doing and find, I guess, your unique selling points, what works best and um, maybe what your customers know you for as well. And um, whether it's the new wealth techs that speak to Seckle or the new uh, the existing wealth management firms that chat to us and want to work with a digital first API um, company, um, we are having those conversations about yeah, what do you want to be known for? What are you going to start off launching? Um, how will you attract customers? We definitely find in the wealth management space, it's better to start off um, with a clearer, more streamlined proposition than trying to be a catch-all ESG diversity investment proposition for all working millennials. <laughs> I'm guessing you've heard that one a few times in the past month. Yeah, and and it, it that, and I think that's the key though is avoiding whatever buzzwords hot and doing what's right for business and and kind of really focusing in on that and focusing where the value is. And if that is 
the genuine home. If it is around, uh, you know, you, you happen to be a brand that is, you know, the involved in carbon capture and you want to launch a debit card and you want to help people invest. Well, maybe that makes more sense because you have some natural, um, kind of, uh, alignment to that. Josh, from a bank's perspective, where do you see partnerships going in the next couple of years? What are you starting to see the transitions look like over the last couple of years and where do you see it headed? Yeah, well, I think as we've talked about, um, I think there's tactical partnering essentially to get access to better solutions or tools. Um, and then I think there's much more strategic partnering to say, how do you really transform your business, increase your reach and and really move forward? You know, I think one of the most exciting things about uh, essentially the sort of the banking as a service ecosystem or the partnering sort of mindset is this idea that, um, you know, we can essentially work with uh, the the fintech or the brand that already knows its customer. They already have proximity to them. Oftentimes they have novel data around them and that allows us to basically support them in creating access to financial tools that we couldn't otherwise do through a traditional uh, distribution network. And so uh, in many ways, uh, and Martin talked about the, sort of the platforms, I like to say that banks are the original platform business, right? So we have depositors and lenders, but what's what this is a now enabling us to do is go essentially access uh, segments that we never could before and put together compelling economics around products that wouldn't have otherwise worked. And so I think it's those businesses that are really looking at uh, partnering in that strategic way that are going to really move forward. And while I do think there's a lot of talk about doing it, from what we can tell in the U.S., there's roughly 5,500 banks and roughly 5,500 or so credit unions. From our uh, what we can tell, there's less than 100 banks are on cloud-based core technology. So I think the sense is, while there might be a high degree of interest in doing this, there's a small number that are really out there that are already have the, the necessary technology support in place to go capitalize on that. And so I think it's gonna we're going to start to see more and more distance between the people that are pushing very hard and taking a very strategic mindset around it. Wanting to do it and being able to execute it are all two different things. I want to be able to be win the 100 meter dash, but can I actually do it? It's uh, execution always, always comes down to the key thing. Uh, we're, we're very close to running out of time. Um, can you believe it's we're nearly up already? That that happened quickly. There's, there's a lot more to get into as well, but I'm going to close out by asking everybody uh, very quickly, what one piece of advice you're going to give any institution going into a partnership? What's that one bit of advice that you always give? Martin, let me start with you. Well, I would say have a clear idea of your future business model, what you really want to drive. Invest time in upfront due diligence process, like is it right for fit on the product, financial, cultural, and a third of all, uh, partnering takes time. Don't expect immediate ROI in the first two years. Interesting. Mary? I would definitely plus one on all of Martin's points um, and probably just add that I think um, at Seco we are constantly assessing what we think the characteristics of a mature fintech or incumbent wealth management firm looks like. So that understanding of your own digital maturity, your technical capability, um, how many technical founders you might have, etc. Um, being able to, I guess, do some introspection around where you're at and who you should partner with based on that. Yeah, interesting. Nicole? For me, I would say it would be to leave your ego at the door. Um, you can't do it all on your own. Uh, you're not going to be perfect and um, you don't have all of the capabilities that you need to have to reach your objectives, goals and uh, outcomes. Uh, so that would be mine for banks and fintechs. I love it. Josh, one piece of advice. 
Yeah, I think it's making sure that anybody you're partnering with is from the outset talking about how you're going to manage uh, really those business, regulatory, and tech factors all at once. Uh, if, if you're only hearing uh, us, any subset of that is not, is not sustainable in the long run. You got to get regulation. You got to get compliance. You got to think about how the business is going to work. You got to be in it for the long term, and you got to check the ego at the door. Uh, and you got to make sure that you're you're really willing to be a little bit patient when it requires it, um, and be introspective and and understand yourself and where your own weaknesses and strengths are. I think that's a, a great summary, guys. Thank you for for putting all of that together. Um, and that wraps us up for today. Um, thank you so much for joining me. Where can people find out more about you and, and what you get up to? Let's start with Nicole, since you're making a, a debut. Sure, sure. We'd love to get to know more of you. You can reach out to me at nicole.perry at 11fs.com or please connect with me on LinkedIn. Fantastic. Um, Mary? Yes. Um, so we really believe that wealth management platforms will live or die by their user experience and we're API first. Um, so if you're keen to... Um, be the same and not have any manual or paper-based processes, do get in touch. You can email us at hey at seckle.tech, S-E-C-C-L. And yeah, type seckle into your browser. Fantastic. Martin? Well, you find me personally on LinkedIn and of course at timonos.com. Fantastic. Josh? Yeah, likewise. Uh, happy to talk with anyone who wants to explore how we can be a resource. Uh, you can reach me via LinkedIn or uh, Williams at seattlebank.com. Perfect. Uh, thank you for listening. If uh, you want to get in touch with me, you'll find me Simon at 11fs.com or at SYTaylor on Twitter. Remember to go ahead and hit subscribe um, and leave us a review. Those reviews help us out so, so much. Goodbye for now.